Welcome to the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast. My garden is right on the edge. At this exact moment, it still feels pretty peaceful. You know, planting is over, mulching is done. I'm in my groove with my watering systems. But I know that right around the corner, harvest is going to hit me smack in the face. And so I'm starting to mentally gear up for all of the food that is about to hit my kitchen. I know a lot of you are in this same boat, and more than ever before, I think that this is the year where it's a good idea to have full cupboards, pantries, and larder as we go into winter. Now, naturally, there's a lot of ways to preserve food. People have been doing this for, well, since the beginning of time. And so I wanted to dive into a few of my favorite preservation methods today. So if you're wondering whether you should freeze your vegetables, dry them, can them, or ferment them, we're gonna walk through the pros and cons of each. I'm your host, Jill Winger, and this is the podcast for the Trailblazers, the Mavericks, the Makers, the Homesteaders, the Modern Pioneers, and the Backyard Farmers. If you're ready to boost your food security and live a more homegrown lifestyle, well, this is the podcast for you. I'm interrupting this episode to give a quick shout out to our sponsor this month, Union Wireless. Union is a Wyoming-based small-town telephone company that's been in business for the last 100 years. They specialize in having more cell towers in more places, and what started as one man's mission to help rural Wyoming residents stay connected has blossomed into a thriving network that connects folks via landline, cell phone, and internet service in Wyoming, Colorado, Montana, and Utah. If you're one of my listeners who lives in the West, head on over to unionwireless.com to see if they'd be a fit for you. Now, back to our show. So people always ask me, you know, what type of food preservation do you do? And honestly, my answer is, I do all of them. I can quite a bit. I have very full freezers. I have a food dehydrator. And I also do fermentation. And I guess I should add, um, I do try to keep foods in my basement, which is my root cellar alternative at this moment. I have an old basement that's kind of unfinished or a portion of it's unfinished. So I keep foods, mostly root vegetables down there. So I practice a number of preservation techniques and I do have my favorites. And so when people ask me which one is best, I'm always kind of like, well, that's a tricky question because it depends on what you're after as far as long-term results, what sort of setup you have, um, how much you can invest in equipment and all that good stuff. So I want to walk through the top four preservation methods, or at least the top four in my world, canning, freezing, dehydrating, and fermenting. We're going to talk about how each of them have strengths, some of the weaknesses that come with them, and which one will work best for your situation. All right, first up, canning. You guys know I love canning. Um, I've done a lot of podcast episodes on canning, everything from how to can tomatoes, how to can jam without sugar, canning safety, canning tips. So if you want to go back into the archives of this podcast, there's a lot of good canning info. But I have been drawn to canning since the very beginning. I just, I just love it. It's old fashioned. It makes me think of grandmas and, and relatives in the kitchen for decades, you know, squirreling away tomatoes and peaches and applesauce. And... I enjoy the process. Now, I didn't really come from a family of canners, per se. I do remember, vaguely, my mom putting up mm, a couple jars of peaches every year here and there. 
but I never paid attention. I wasn't into it at that point. So when I was an adult with this homestead and I'm like, I'm going to learn how to can, it was really something I had to go figure out how to do, um, once again on my own. So the good news is, is it's not difficult to learn how to can, even if you don't have someone local to help you learn the ropes, you can totally do it on your own. But the reason I like canning and the reason I do believe it is 100% worthwhile to invest in a canner and the jars and learn how to do it is because it's very versatile and I love how shelf stable it is. So it's very obviously not how shelf stable it is shelf stable. You don't need a freezer. You don't need a refrigerator. And for me, my freezer and refrigerator space is high value real estate around our house. Like it's very crowded. And so anytime I can figure out ways to preserve food that don't require a refrigerator or freezer, that's a huge bonus. So as you know, I water bath can, I pressure can, um, I do it every single year. Definitely August, September, October are my heaviest canning months. Um, but it's worth it. It's worth learning how to can. If you did not come from a family of canners and you need someone to show you the ropes, I have created an entire ebook system called Canning Made Easy. It's simple, it's affordable, and it will literally be the next best thing to you coming into my kitchen and canning with me. And you can check that out over at learnhowtocan.com. But I always like to mention that because I feel like the biggest obstacle to folks learning how to can is just the learning curve. They're nervous they're going to poison their family. They're nervous they're going to blow up the kitchen. And so I love to show folks how easy it is to preserve food in jars without having all those worries coming with it. So canning is wonderful for being shelf stable. The other thing that I love about canning is it actually, and this was surprising to me, I had to do some research on this. Um, it preserves the nutrients in the food fairly well. So I feel like we should talk about this before we get any deeper into this episode. Obviously, when you're preserving food in any way, shape, or form, we're going to have some nutrient loss. Even when you just pick a cucumber from your garden and you bring it into the fridge, the minute you cut it off the vine, we start to have some degradation of nutrients. It's just how it works, and it's totally fine. But that's why when you buy something at the grocery store that's been riding on a truck for three weeks, it doesn't have as many nutrients left, right? Um, and it's just the nature of the beast. It's just how it goes. But I did a little bit of research when I was creating the Canning Made Easy system last year. I spent some time digging into this idea of nutrient loss because I'd for a long time I'd had this worry that if I put my food in jars and I put, pour, or, excuse me, put it into a, a hot water bath canner or a pressure canner, that I was just going to be destroying everything in that food and it really wouldn't even be worth eating. Um, so I was like, I gotta find out once and for all how much nutrients are lost, how many nutrients are lost with the canning process. And I was actually pleasantly surprised when I dug into this deeper and I don't remember my exact sources on this. I'll have to see if I can dig them up and stick them in the show notes. But from what I can tell and what the research and the science says, you will have some nutrient loss in canning. But the cool thing is, is once you, the food is processed, it's boiled or heated or whatever, then the nutrient loss really slows down. So you're going to have the food, you know, you're going to have that loss initially, but then because it's in a sealed jar in a cool, dark place, it actually is fairly stable. Now we contrast that with um, freezing and freezing is a little simpler to do on the front end 
but what folks I've, or what I've seen the research show is that um, food that you put in the freezer initially has more nutrients left in the food than it would if you had canned it. Like let's say you pick something and then that week you either freeze it or you can it. The food that you freeze will have more nutrients right off the bat, but it generally degrades a little bit more quickly in the freezer. So if you have something that's either been in the freezer for four months or on the shelf in a jar four months later, the one in the jar usually often will have more vitamins and minerals left. Excuse me, more vitamins. I think the minerals stay the same no matter what. I don't want to give you bad info. So um, anyway, that's how uh, I kind of wrap my mind around it. And that was helpful to me to figure that out last year because I've always been torn, you know, well, is freezing better? Is canning better? And again, they both have their merits, but um, is, as far as nutrient loss, canning isn't as bad as you would think. Now, there are a couple downfalls to canning. Obviously, it's hot. <laughs> it's a hot process. So if it's already 180 million degrees at your house and you want to start canning a whole bunch of tomatoes, you're going to have a hot kitchen and it's going to be sweaty and sticky. That is a downfall. There's ways around that. You know, some people can in the evenings or the early mornings before the house heats up. Some people can in an outdoor kitchen or like on a grill or an outdoor burner just so they're not heating up their houses. But I feel like that little bit of a sacrifice of sludging through the hot kitchen is totally worth what you get on the other end. Now, the other kind of downfall that I see to canning is that it's not, the canned food is not easily transportable. <laughs> so if you have jars of, of peaches or pears or pickles, um, they're heavy, they take up space, right? So it's not something, if you wanted a mobile food supply, um, that's not going to be a great option, obviously. But if you can have an extra closet or somewhere in your basement, set up some of those cheap shelving options from Costco or Sam's Club, that's what we use. It doesn't take up as much room as you think. And even if you're only putting up um, a handful of jars every year, it's still to your benefit because you're going to have that food for later. You're likely saving money doing it yourself and you're not wasting food. So I'm a fan, you know, I'm a fan and canning is a really good option. And I love right now that more and more people are looking into it so much so that it's actually really difficult to find canning jars and canning lids at the moment. So um, I would suggest if you're in that boat and you can't find the supplies, look for used options, used jars, not used lids, you need brand new lids, but um, used jars, thrift stores, garage sales, things like that. See if you can scoop them up. And I, I did see lids in our local grocery store recently, and I think you can still get some lids online. You just might have to look a little bit more than normal. All right, so next up, freezing. Freezing is, it seems like everybody's favorite, which makes sense because most people have at least a small freezer. We have um, three <laughs> normal freezers plus a commercial freezer. And most of that, honestly, is for our meat. We have our personal beef and we have our commercial beef that we sell. So we need a lot of freezers. And I don't really love using my very precious freezer space for fruits and vegetables, but sometimes I will. Sometimes I will. So freezing, I feel like, is preferable to a lot of folks because it's simple, right? And a lot of times folks enjoy the texture of certain frozen foods over the canned alternative. So for example, uh, green beans. If you pressure can green beans from the garden versus freezing 
green beans from the garden. I find that the frozen ones, I'd like the texture better. It's a personal preference. The canned ones aren't like horrible, but they're just a little softer. And I like a green bean with a little more tooth to it once I boil it. It's a total picky thing. And so you kind of have to decide, maybe there's certain foods, you really hate them canned, but you really like them frozen or vice versa. So the texture can be better. It is easier, I would say, for the most part, to freeze, a f freeze foods, like throw them in the freezer when you have a little bit here and there. But keep in mind, there are certain foods that still need to be blanched in order to freeze well. And what that means is blanching is you prepare the food, you know, you trim it, you cut it, you peel it, whatever it may be, you dunk it into boiling water for a few minutes, then you dunk it into ice water for a few minutes, and then you drip dry it, and then you put it in your freezer bags or your freezer containers. So personally, I hate blanching. <laughs> I don't know why I hate it so much, but if I can avoid blanching anything, I'm gonna do it. Now the problem is sometimes you can get away with that. Other times, it's not gonna make the food unsafe if you skip blanching, but it will just give you potentially a icky result. You'll have things that are mushier or discolored or they don't freeze and reheat as well. So I would look up um, online or in like something like the Ball Blue Book and see which fruits and vegetables are recommended to be blanched or prepared a certain way before you stick them in the freezer because uh, it's a bummer when you do a whole bunch of gallon sized bags of a certain vegetable and then you realize you messed it up and it's not going to be good once you thaw it out. Um, the other thing about freezing, like I mentioned above, that was that um, the nutrient loss. And again, it's not horrendous, but if you leave something in a freezer bag for six or eight or 12 months, probably going to have a considerable amount of nutrients gone. Not that it's going to be unsafe to eat or it's going to be disgusting. It's just not going to be as good. So that's something that steers me kind of away from freezing a lot of the time and the space. That's my biggest issue. Freezing all my tomatoes or freezing all of my um, stuff from the garden is just not realistic. I don't have room and it costs money to keep the freezer plugged in. So I know that freezing is a favorite for a lot of folks. I know it's, it's so funny. I laugh sometimes. No matter what sort of recipe I post online, people ask if they can freeze it. Like I will have a homemade butter recipe and they're like, can I freeze it? And I'll, or I'll have like a homemade bread dough and they're like, can I freeze it? Or just the silliest things. Not that bread dough is silly frozen. You can do that now that I mention it. But um, I know freezing is super popular, but sometimes it's just not always worth the effort, if that makes sense. All right, dehydrating. I would say out of all the preservation methods, this is the one I have the least experience with. I mean, I have a dehydrator. I have an Excalibur, which is kind of the Cadillac of food dehydrators. Yes, that's a thing. And if you're in the foodie or homestead space, it matters. <laughs> For those of you who are like, weird, Jill, weird. Um, anyway, I have an Excalibur. I had a Harvest something. What was it? Harvest Right. It was a circular ones. And some of you may have the circular ones. I had that for many, many years. It worked great. The only thing I didn't like about the circular dehydrators is they have the hole in the middle. And so you're always trying to like awkwardly situate food around the hole, uh, the circular hole. And then like if I was making fruit leather and I was trying to cut parchment paper for the fruit leather to sit on, it was just more difficult, not impossible. But I do love the square dehydrator that's the Excalibur and it has no hole, like big hole in the middle and I can just cut a plain sheet of parchment paper in a rectangular 
uh, orientation and it's super easy. What I like to dry, I would say I use my food dehydrator quite a bit for jerky, homemade jerky. Um, dried tomatoes are a favorite with my kids. So I do, I can most of my tomatoes, but I always pop a few in the dehydrator. It's like, they're kind of like sun-dried tomatoes. Um, I don't pack mine in oil. I just leave them dry, dry, dry. Does that make sense? <laughs> Dried without any liquid around them. And then my kids eat them like snacks. Um, fruit leather is good. Bananas are good. There are some things though, however, that I have seen recommended like in the food dehydrator booklet. They say, you can dry this. Here's the recommended time. And it just doesn't work out great. Um, like for example, I tried drying some green peppers that I had and I didn't like it. They shriveled up to just nothing. So they were like these little strings of green pepper and I kept them in my cabinet for a while and then I'm like, I'm never gonna use these. So I ended up giving them to the pigs. And there are certain things you dry that I feel like just shouldn't be dried. <laughs> They're not awesome. Um, another one I didn't love was uh, green beans. I know a lot of folks would like dry green beans. So I tried that last year and I just meh, wasn't my favorite. So you'll kind of figure out which foods you love dried and which ones aren't awesome. Um, but I would say the biggest benefit to dehydrating is the food's lightweight. And obviously a lot of food is just water. So you remove the water and it shrinks down. So it's lightweight. It's easy to store it's space saving. You don't need a refrigerator or a freezer. So there's definite benefits. The one downfall to dehydrating is that I do think it has quite a bit of nutrient loss. And I was looking up um, some information and it says that the nutrient loss for commercially dried foods varies between 30 to 80% for vitamin C and 10 to 50% for vitamin A. Um, and it says the moment fresh fruit food is cut open and exposed to the elements, nutrient loss occurs. For, ex for instance, beta carotene and vitamin C both diminish when food is dried. Um, thiamine, riboflavin, and niacin have a minimal loss during drying, and there is no loss to iron or fiber. So some nutrients aren't affected, but some are. And so you just kind of have to keep that in mind. That is not something that's going to prevent me from drying completely, but it's also going to make me maybe choose other options over drying if I have the ability to do so. Um, and I got that information from the Outdoor Herbivore blog. I can link that in the show notes. But anyway, I know folks love their dehydrators. I'm definitely not against them, but I would say it is probably one of my least favorite options just because of the end result and the nutrient loss. All right, so we've done canning, we've done freezing, we've done dehydrating, we have fermenting left. And have I done an episode on fermentation? I think I have. If I haven't, I need to. Maybe we'll do a sauerkraut episode here because sauerkraut season is right around the corner. Fermenting or lacto-fermentation is another name for it, is an amazing way to preserve food. And this is really the way that our ancestors would have preserved food through the millennia before refrigeration, before um, canning really took hold, before they had Excalibur food dehydrators. I mean, they were, de they were drying food out in the sun, of course. Um, but fermentation is a fantastic way to preserve food. And you're doing that with the salt, with the salt that is added, and then the naturally occurring 
um, bacteria, and then the developing acids that come as a part of the fermentation process. And the cool part about fermentation is that it's very, very safe. And I get this question a lot. People are like, ooh, I'm leaving this jar of cabbage out on my counter. Like, is this really safe? Um, because they've heard me talk about the dangers of botulism when we're canning and all that um, concern. And I'm like, the cool thing here is that because we have the salt, because we have the acid, uh, fermentation is extremely safe. You don't have to worry about it like you would improperly canned foods. So it's a great place to start if you're a beginner. And it's so dang good for you. You probably have heard some of the research on this. If you haven't, I would um, encourage you to spend a little time looking it up. Fermented foods are amazing for your gut. There's a lot of health experts that recommend you eat some sort of fermented food, whether it's sauerkraut or kimchi or kombucha or kefir um, every single day because it's just giving you that natural probiotic boost, which is a really big deal. Fermentation is awesome because it doesn't require any special equipment. You don't have to have one of those fancy crocks, although they're super fun, but you don't have to have one. You don't have to have air locks. Really, if you want to start bare bones with fermentation, all you need is a mason jar and a lid and something to weigh the food down. And that can be absolutely something you just improvise from your kitchen, but it can be super affordable, super healthy, super safe. So it's a great place to start. Now, I would say, maybe, I don't know if I'd call this a downfall, but one of the things that arises when we talk about fermentation is that some folks don't like the taste, or maybe they haven't even tried it yet, but they're concerned their family won't like the taste of the food because it does have a, a tang to it. And if you've never had that before, it's different. Um, so here's my two recommendations. Number one, give yourself time to get used to it. Because I have found that the flavor of these foods grows on you. And it's almost like once you try it, your body kind of starts to crave it. So don't give up after the first taste. And they're not, they're not bad. I think actually they're delicious, but it's just sometimes developing our taste buds towards these different flavors. And the other thing is, is if you've had fermented foods from the store, maybe you found some sort of brand of fermented foods at the health food store or something like that, and you didn't like it, know that when you're making it yourself, you have way more control over the sourness and all the flavors. So personally, I don't like my sauerkraut super duper sour. So I ferment it for a shorter period of time. And I find I like that flavor a lot better. So know that when you're doing it yourself, you have a lot of control and it doesn't have to be like knock your socks off sour, which I really appreciate. Um, now the one thing to consider, to take into consideration when you are fermenting is that even though the foods start off just on your kitchen counter doing their thing with the salt, eventually they will need to be transferred to cold storage at some point in order, you know, for them not to keep fermenting into oblivion. Because if you keep them in a super warm location for months and months, um, they're going to get out of control sour. So what the old timers would do is they would ferment it in a root cellar or, you know, a cool larder or something. So and maybe they would keep it initially in a warm place, but they transfer it to that cool place and that would slow down the fermentation process and just kind of hold the food where it needed to be. So you can mimic that with a refrigerator, of course. Um, maybe you're limited on space in your refrigerator. So I know a lot of folks will use a root cellar or just a cool area where the temperatures are just gonna slow down that, that sourness. 
but keep that in mind. It's not something you just want to put, you know, a jar of sauerkraut in your regular old pantry. I would say that would probably not be ideal. So some sort of cool location is going to be beneficial. Um, but anyway, yeah, I would say fermentation is right up there with canning for me, even though there's some things I don't ferment. I do love fermented pickles. We've done some carrots. We've done lots of sauerkraut and it's something that I look forward to every single year. So my friends, that is my best advice for preservation methods. I hope that was helpful. Um, if you have any questions, definitely don't hesitate to reach out. I hope though, I pray that you are looking towards this fall and thinking about how you can tuck some food away. It's, it's a wonderful practice any year, but especially this year. And I think it's just going to give you a lot. Actually, I know it will give you a lot of peace of mind as we move forward um, into the fall and the winter. And it's just a time-honored concept of tucking food away for later, preserving the harvest. And it just feels really amazing when you know you have that backup food supply. If you are ready to start canning, but you're not quite sure how to get started, you need someone to hold your hand, show you the ropes, and make sure, you know, you don't blow up the kitchen, I would highly recommend that you check out my Canning Made Easy system. I've included all the printables, charts, tips, and walkthroughs you need to learn how to can confidently and safely, whether you're doing water bath or pressure canning, and it includes my favorite tried and true recipes. You can get all the information and check out the cool bonuses over at learnhowtocan.com. And that is it for today. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you to everyone who has left reviews and ratings for this podcast. I read every single one and they help more people find homesteading and bring it into their lives. So I greatly appreciate it. We'll catch up again next time on the next episode of the Old Fashioned On Purpose podcast.